0: Good morning, Sweetwater Christian Church, and good morning to everyone who's joined us online. We're grateful that you could be with us worshiping today. Uh, I'm Zane Goggins. I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad to be with you to share the love and word of God with you this morning. Uh, I want to take a moment. Let's ask the Lord to uh, give us hearts that receive his love and word this morning. Let's pray together. God, we ask for hearts that receive you. We ask for ears that hear, eyes that see. Lord, we pray that you would be in our presence this morning. Help us to understand your words today, what you're saying to us today. Pray that everything that comes from me would fall on the ground, and everything that comes from you, from your love, from your word today would be received with joy and gladness today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. Okay, we are in Luke. We're listening to, learning from, worshiping Jesus Christ, and we know by now that Luke is ramping up his story, right? He's getting every little story that he can in there really quick in, in these short chapters right before chapter 19 as he uh, gets to the big part of his story, the four major events, the, the triumphal entry, the execution, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. And just like Luke, we are also ramping up. Uh, we're going to follow the intent of Luke by deviating from the lectionary in a couple of weeks. And we're going to look at those four major events. We're going to look at the triumphal entry, the execution, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. Uh, So beginning in just a couple of weeks, uh, we will begin our ramp up and our crescendo. And then after that will be Advent. So Christmas is here. Isn't that wonderful? I'm so excited. I love Christmas. So uh, in our journey with Luke, we have seen Jesus as many different things. We've seen him as a prophet. We've seen him as a storyteller, as a parable teller. Uh, we, we have seen him heal people. We've seen him bring demons out of people. Uh, we've seen him send 72 missionaries out into the world before him as he enters into cities. We've heard him teach us about faith, prayer, the spirit of the law, about being anxious, And we know right now that Jesus is on his final road trip to Jerusalem. It's the last trip he'll ever make in his life. He's going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover with all the Jews. It's an annual thing. Uh, So he's going there to celebrate Passover, but ultimately he is going to change the whole world as he endures the cross, raises from the dead, and ascends into heaven. So we are in Luke 17, 11 through 19 today. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Bibles in front of you, under you. If you don't have one, take that home. If you want to learn how to use a Bible, email me and we'll set up a time together. Luke 17, 11 through 19. So today, Jesus is on his final road trip. He's making this last road trip with his 12 disciples. And since thousands of other people are also making this road trip, Road trip down to Jerusalem, Jesus tends to draw a lot of crowds. Uh, He goes along healing people, teaching people, telling stories to people, uh, and he's developed a bit of a reputation. Uh, His reputation is mixed. If you are a religious person and you have a vested interest in holding on to your spiritual authority, then Jesus' reputation is based on the kinds of people that he tends to hang out with. Not a good reputation. It's a low reputation. If you're much more of a common person, you know, and you find yourself on the edges of society especially, then Jesus' reputation is based more on how profound his teachings are and how he heals people and he works miracles. His reputation is very good. It's a very high reputation. So his reputation is either good or bad based on where you find yourself in the power dynamics of society. And on his final road trip, Jesus and the 12 find themselves in an area where two provinces meet, okay? They find themselves in a borderland. They are uh, in the borderland between Galilee in the north where he does all of his ministry. This is where Capernaum is, is where the Sea of Galilee is. Uh, and he finds himself in the borderland between Galilee and Samaria. So just a, as a mental map, there's Galilee, Samaria, and Judea where Jerusalem is. You gotta, you, that's kind of what it's like. It's a sandwich. And so he is in the borderland between Galilee and Samaria. He's riding the border. He's between states, between provinces, teetering the Red River somewhere. And as they travel and they make it to this random village, Luke doesn't tell us which one. Jesus is met by 10 people. And these are no ordinary people. These 10 people are in quarantine. Uh, They have a very contagious, slow-growing bacterial infection that affects the skin, the nerves, the eyes, the lining of your nose and your mucus. These 10 quarantine people have leprosy. And this is where we pick up our story today. Luke 17, 11 through 19. I'm reading from the NRSV this morning. Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered the village, 10 lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not 10 made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was not One of them found to return, or was none of them found to return and give praise to God except for this one foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, get up, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. So leprosy in the ancient world was a pretty serious thing. It was taken uh, very seriously. Uh, It may not be literal leprosy. There may not be a a whole lot of evidence that what we know as Hansen's disease was too prevalent in the first century world, Um, but almost any kind of skin issue in the ancient world was lumped into this thing that we translate as leprosy, okay? Um, They didn't have the sophistication or terminology of, of modern diagnosing, right? So almost any skin-related issue was lumped into this big category that we call leprosy. This includes actual leprosy, but it also includes a lot of other skin diseases, honestly. But actual leprosy was a thing, and it was prevalent enough, so they may very well have had actual leprosy. Leprosy is almost entirely eradicated now, uh, but you can still get it in the United States today. It's not like a big deal. Uh, you're more likely to get it from an armadillo than you are from a, another person. About 20% of all armadillos in the Gulf states have uh, leprosy, so stay away from them. Don't touch armadillos. Um, it's not really a concern for us today, just going about our day today, but in the time of Jesus, it was at least common enough where Jesus runs into 10 of them. Okay? I don't know if I've ever met somebody with leprosy, but Jesus, it's common enough where Jesus runs into 10 at this point. And it may have been more common in in Israel's uh, history, but we don't actually know. Uh, We do know that in the book of Leviticus, uh, there's an entire chapter, 59 verses, dedicated to how to deal with someone who has a leprous disease. Uh, Leviticus 13 gives rules for how to deal with leprosy if your skin turns white, uh, if it's swelling, if your skin becomes raw, if it becomes more like boils, and even if those boils turn white, uh, if it appears more like a burn, if a woman has it, if a man has it, if it's in a man's beard, or if it's in your hair. It even has uh, rules for how to deal with the clothes of someone who has dealt with a leprous disease. So it's pretty detailed actually, probably not the best medical advice today, but it was the best they had. And each time, in each instance, a person experiencing a leprous disease must go somewhere else. You can't stick around. You have to go somewhere else. They have to live outside the camp. Uh, They have to leave town until the priest says that they can return. And why? Well, because leprosy is very contagious. It actually spreads the exact same way as COVID does, through droplets in your breath when you talk or when you sneeze or when you just walk around breathing. It spreads very easily, actually. Uh, And so you have to go into quarantine, something we're all at least somewhat familiar with. So when someone has a leprosy disease, for the benefit of the community, you get separated from your friends, from your family, from your community. You got to quarantine. You had to go live alone as an unclean person until you got better. Quarantine isolates you. How many of us know that, right? So these 10 people who were forced to live away from their friends and family for however long, they actually find each other. And they start hanging out. Uh, They can't infect each other. They're all infected anyway. Uh, And so they make a little commune together. Uh, uh, They're they're just, you know, the, the phrase that misery loves company, right? These 10 are in misery. But that's one way to look at it. Another way you could look at it is lonely people just love company. These 10 are lonely, and they find each other company, no matter what it looks like. They don't even seem to care that one of their leper friends is a Samaritan. They're hanging out with him. So, there's no clean or unclean when you're all sick. In spite of the loneliness that quarantine forces on you, these 10 have found each other and they're united in their misery. And because Jesus's reputation is good, when you're on the margins of society, they collectively say to each other, say, hey, if we can find this Jesus guy." If we can all like get in front of him, we can be healed and we can go home to our families again. We got to go find Jesus. They know that this Jesus guy heals people like them. They probably heard a story from earlier in Jesus's ministry, Luke puts it in chapter five, how Jesus was in another random village and a leper came straight up to him and Jesus actually Puts his hands on him, touches him. In the ancient world, you don't go near a leprous person, much less touch them. And so Luke says that this man was covered in leprosy, a really bad case. And he begged Jesus to make him clean again, and Jesus touches him, and the leprosy leaves his body. He came clean, he became clean again able to return to society again, able to get out of quarantine. And what a story to hang on to if you're in the same position and have the same disease, right? They not only heard that Jesus was a healer and does great miracles, but they also must have heard that Jesus is approachable for people like them. Our text says that Jesus was approached by 10 lepers. Not that he stumbled upon 10 lepers. These 10 diseased people had some hope for some unseen good things, right? They had faith for something, faith in the person of Jesus to make them clean again, like they've heard. It's almost like Luke is giving us a short version of the gospel, right? Uh, Faith in Jesus makes you clean again. It's on the nose. I mean, it's right there. Hope in Jesus to perform a miracle in them, to have mercy on them. So one thing this story teaches us is exactly that. Jesus is approachable, especially for the unclean. Luke is telling us in a very clever way that faith in Jesus makes us clean again. It's the gospel, but happening in real life because everything Jesus does is the gospel okay? Everything Jesus does is the gospel. The the faith to approach the approachable Jesus is the catalyst for their healing. And their faith pays off. Jesus makes them clean again. He sends them off to the priest to get approval to return to civilization. And that would be the end of the story. But Luke has some more theology he wants to dump on us. He's not done telling the story yet Luke then tells us that as the 10 are walking away, noticing that they've become clean again, it didn't happen instantly. It's as they're walking away, that one of the 10 gets the feeling that they need to turn back. They need to turn back around and get back in front of Jesus. And he realizes that his situation is completely turned around. He's no longer in a community of misery, but now he can go back to his family. He can finally come out of quarantine and be with his friends again. Do you remember the first time you went out to dinner or saw your family the first time COVID restrictions let up? That, that seed of joy that just erupted when you got to see a friend again? That's the kind of joy that this leper is feeling. He's, his situation is reversed. It's totally turned around. And so we can all relate to this guy in some way. And what an amazing joy to be able to reconnect. And Luke says that he turns around and he's praising God with a loud voice. He's screaming, he's screaming. He was praising, that Greek word is doxazo, uh, making a doxology. He was uh, praising Jesus, honoring Jesus, glorifying Jesus. He was thanking Jesus for the work he did in his life. He was showing Jesus gratitude. He put off seeing his family just for a tad bit longer so that he could go and show his gratitude to Jesus. And Jesus actually seems a little surprised. Uh, He says, weren't there 10 of you? Where did the nine go? Why did only one come back? I thought there was 10 of you guys. And you know, Maybe you're surprised by that too, that only one would come back. And I think Luke is actually trying to surprise us a little bit. But I also think that Luke is trying to point something out to us. And I think that Luke is trying to point out that gratitude is actually a really difficult spiritual discipline for us. Can anybody relate to that? Maybe not so much on the surface. Like, I mean, in some ways, gratitude is like the easiest thing you can do. Thank you, God. That's kind of it. It's maybe the easiest way to worship God. Thank you, God, for all you've done. That's all gratitude is. Thank you for everything you're doing. Gratitude is actually pretty easy to do. It's the easiest form of worship. But in some other ways... Uh, gratitude is very, very difficult for us. Uh, Maybe you're great at gratitude. If you are, you have a lot to teach me. Uh, But I don't think that I'm the only one that finds myself lacking in gratitude because the truth is it is really easy to take Jesus for granted. And the truth is that Jesus is much more active in your life than you give him credit for. I was talking to a good friend, a very close friend of mine, uh, about their struggles with clinical anxiety and how it bleeds over into not feeling very grateful for things in their spiritual life. Uh, I asked them if I could share this story, and so I'm not just airing this person's laundry out. I actually asked them if I could share this. So, anxiety has been a part of my friend's life for the better part of a decade, okay? Uh, Since they were in their low 20s, they started experiencing anxiety, very consistent level. Uh, And ever since, it's kind of been like an unwanted guest that just lives in the house, like a ghost that just kind of hangs out in the corner. You can forget about it for a few days. Uh, Medicine helps a little bit, but inevitably you just remember that it's there, or something will remind you that it's there, just in the corner. And It comes up, and so a couple of years ago, uh, my friend started going to Christian counseling uh, so that they could talk through with someone where God was in all of that. Uh, That's that's really what they wanted. They wanted a fellow believer to help them walk through what God was doing in their life in the context of experiencing anxiety and, like, what does it mean to have the Spirit of God in you, but also be fearful at the same time. Those are the kind of questions this person was, was asking, uh, wrestling with. And, and the counseling was actually very helpful for them. Usually when anxiety shows up for this person, uh, it shows up at night just before bed. It kind of disrupts the peaceful bedtime routine. And on some occasions, it will disrupt their sleep altogether. And when that happens, they'll read scripture. Usually they'll pray with their spouse they'll pray for a peaceful night's rest. And they brought this up with the counselor. Does God actually listen to any of my prayers? I'm praying every night to go back to sleep and I have to keep praying every night just to go back to sleep. Sometimes multiple times in a night. And it's a fair question to ask, honestly. Is God actually listening when I pray? Because if God was listening, I feel like this whole sleep thing wouldn't be much of an issue anymore, right? God should have a little bit more pity on me to help me get back to sleep when I ask for it. And then the counselor asked a stunning question, groundbreaking, honestly. The counselor asked, well, did you sleep? Well, yeah, I slept. Then God listened to you. It wasn't until that little moment that my friend understood that they didn't thank God enough for how present he is in their life. Jesus is much more active in your life than you give him credit for. Sometimes we're looking for some big supernatural instant thing in order to credit it to Jesus, right? It has to be the clouds rolling back and something instantly has to change and it never has to return again in order for us to accredit it to the power and work of God in our lives, right? We're looking for the big thing to call it an answer to prayer. But what my friend learned that day was that Jesus is in the details. Jesus is in the normal, everyday little things, like just helping you get to sleep eventually. Like Luke tells us that the 10 lepers were made clean as they went. It did not happen instantly. He told them to go see the priest. He didn't even say you're healed. He said, go see the priest. And as they're walking, they realize that they have become clean again. It wasn't big. It wasn't instant. Kind of seems like it was a gradual thing that happened. We don't know how far they got before they actually became clean again, but it seems like they got just far enough to take Jesus for granted for it. Like falling asleep an hour after praying for it. Maybe it doesn't feel too much like a miracle. Maybe the leprosy would have cleared up by then anyway, or, you know, he didn't actually lay his hands on me and it didn't happen at that moment. So I don't know, maybe this is just something that just happens. It's easy to miss but the reality is that Jesus is in the normal details. And just one of the 10 recognizes it for what it is. The Samaritan man. Jesus calls him the foreigner, which is actually in- interesting. Jesus is the foreigner in this situation. Jesus is the one going into Samaria, okay? Uh, Jesus is the foreigner in the situation, but uh, but Luke is... Uh, Again, emphasizing that Jesus has a strong preference for those on the margins of society. So he's using terminology for the Samaritan that he would normally use in his normal life. So the Samaritan man remembered that this is exactly what he asked for. He remembered that he had faith for this, okay? He hoped for something that wasn't seen yet. He remembered that it was indeed Jesus who pointed them in the direction of the priest Jesus was in all the little details and he's too compelled. He has to go back and give gratitude. An easy thing to do, just a simple thank you. But when the big things in our lives are taken care of by what seems like small and simple means, we tend not to give credit where credit is due. Gratitude is one of the simplest ways to practice your faith. The hard part is recognizing the normal details of our life as God's provision and activity in our life. When we practice gratitude with God, just simple thanks and acknowledging his work in our lives, we are practicing our faith. We're helping ourselves to recognize when God has done great things with the faith that we do have. It's like a muscle you see the work of God, you thank God for that work, and then you begin to recognize more and more of the work of God in your life. Gratitude puts faith into practice. Now, remember, Luke is telling this story as a, like a compact gospel, like his book in one little story like a gospel in real life. He makes the theological point that unclean people approach Jesus in faith, and when they do that, they are made clean again. So the story ends with Jesus telling the Samaritan leper, get up and go. Your faith has made you well. That term, has made you well, is just one word in Greek. That word is sozo. Have you ever heard the word sozo before? It's used 110 times in the New Testament. About 17 of those times, like this time, it's used in a way that kind of describes bodily healing. The 93 other times it's used in the New Testament in similar situations, it means to be saved. It means to be rescued. Sozo is to be saved get up, your faith has saved you. What this story ultimately shows us is this. Jesus is approachable. And in our approaching him, as we come to him in faith, a couple of things happen. In the normal details, Jesus is working in your life, in the little things, the normal things. And as we practice gratitude, as we practice our faith by making Uh, By thanking Jesus for the things that he's done in our faith, Jesus saves us. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we admit that sometimes we are not as grateful as we could be. We're sorry for that. We acknowledge you for the things that you've done in our lives, the little things that we've prayed for. The little things that we've asked for, the little things that you've accomplished in our lives that we never said thank you for, we thank you for those things now. Father, help us to recognize when you are working little things in our life and help us to recognize it for what it is. Help us to thank you for those things. Help us to practice our faith in you. We love you. We ask for the grace to love you even more. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, amen.